Ugh, I love Jenny Kane. At this very moment, I'm feeling so comfy and cozy as I'm practically getting a hug from my Jenny Kane crop cashmere cocoon cardigan. I am enjoying this sweater so much that I've been living in it all spring long. And with Mother's Day just around the corner, this is a feeling you can gift all the well-deserving moms, moms-to-be, and mother figures in your life by giving them the gift of Jenny Kane. Along with bringing you this episode, Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, and their staples make getting dressed so super easy. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. Jenny Kane means luxurious cashmere sweaters, iconic accessories, elevated versions of your everyday basics, plus the most incredible home essentials. For a limited time, Birthful listeners get 15% off their first order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code BIRTHFUL15 to get 15% off and support the show. Jenny Kane is known for their quintessential sweaters, with their cotton collection providing you with the perfect everyday pieces as the days get warmer. But they also have gorgeous sundresses in a variety of silhouettes for any occasion and spectacular sandals to go along with them. Find the perfect Mother's Day gift or curate your new spring go-tos at JennyKane.com. Birthful listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code BIRTHFUL15 at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com, promo code BIRTHFUL15. Get yourself and the mothers in your life the gift of Jenny Kane. Pregnancy and postpartum are some of the most nutritionally demanding times of your life, which makes sense because you're basically acting as your baby's pantry while pregnant or nursing. That's why the quality of your prenatal supplements is so vitally important. Hands down, the one I recommend is needed, so I'm thrilled to say that if you use the code BIRTHFUL at thisisneeded.com, you can get 20% off your first month of needed products. Needed is the number one nutrition brand recommended and used by me and over 4,000 practitioners, from nutritionists to midwives, functional medicine doctors, and OBGYNs. Needed is for anyone trying to conceive, pregnant, postpartum, and really, this is goodness you can use even before and beyond the perinatal years. Along with prenatals, Needed offers premium supplements for every stage, from egg quality support to a lactation support plan, a stress and sleep support plan, and a gut health plan. In fact, I've had clients rave about Needed's pre- and probiotic formula, saying how much better it made them feel compared to their usual probiotics. And to me, Needed's hydration support packets, which only have ingredients you can pronounce, are a must in any doula or hospital bag. Also, Needed's prenatal multi is available in capsules and easy-to-take vanilla powder for those with nausea or pill fatigue. Head over to thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. That's thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. 
Hello, Mighty Parent or Parent-to-be. I'm Adriana Lozada, and as we forge on with our Care Provider series, I'm really excited to bring you a story today that showcases how to birth in community within a hospital setting, because the truth is that you can receive care from many people during your birth, not just from your medical team. So in my mind, the words care provider include a multitude way beyond just your doctor or your midwife. Now, if your wishes are that your extended family be a part of your birth, then clearly there are some really important conversations that need to take place way ahead of those first contractions. And then leading up to labor, each person has to figure out the work they need to do ahead of time in order to show up how you need them to. To help model what that would look like, today I will be talking to the amazing Laurel Gorier. Laurel is a co-host of the Birth Stories in Color podcast, as well as a birth worker and reproductive justice advocate. Now, Laurel's constant ever-present search for joy is evident in her storytelling. You'll notice how she and her team bring mindfulness to all of their decisions as they navigate a really long birth with continuous back labor and so many course changes. And because holding on to joy had been a key part of Laurel's birth plan, to be honest, at many points, her labor seems like a big party. Before we start, I also want you to know that I have had the immense pleasure of sharing my own birth story on Birth Stories in Color. So whenever you can, make sure you go listen to that as well. You are listening to Birthful, here to inform your intuition. Welcome, Laurel, to the show. I am so very excited to have you here and hear your story why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and how you identify? Yes. Well, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I love to travel. So I've been lots of places, have lived lots of places. I am a mom of two. I have a five-year-old daughter, three-year-old son. I'm also a wife. I do birth work, full spectrum. However you land, whatever your support is, I am there to help you help guide you, help support you. I love birth storytelling in all shapes and forms. So I also host a birth storytelling podcast with a doula sister and friend. And then I recently have started doing birth photography. I'm absolutely obsessed with (laughs) the way that birth shows up. (laughs) Well, and let's make sure we mention the name of your podcast. Which yes. is, yes, Birth I'll let you say. Birth Stories in Color. <laughs> Birth Stories in Color, which if I'm going to let everybody know, I did it. I shared my birth story that I don't often yes. share on Birth Stories in Color. So you can check out that episode as well if you want to hear. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so take us back. Your daughter is now, you were told me before that she's five. Take us mm-hmm. back to that time when you were just pregnant or figuring out what you wanted for your birth wishes, what were you hoping to have and how did you prepare? Yeah. So in the beginning, when I, when we first found out we were pregnant, both my husband and I really felt like everybody's like comments to us were very, were centered on the pain aspect of birth, on the negative parts of birth. And I remember one day, like we were both sitting around and I was like, I don't know, like I'm 
I'm loving this. <laughs> I'm very excited about this. And I just don't feel like what I'm feeling is matching what everybody is telling me. Like I know those things will show up, but it just, they're not sinking. So from there, we really were intentional about how we talked about the experience, how we absorbed what others were saying. And I just knew from the beginning that I know that I want this birth to be centered in like peace and joy. And I really want to connect with this birth and be very in tune to it. And so that's what I did. Like I, I, I set intentions about that. I read everything that I could get my hands on. I was obsessed with watching birth videos on YouTube. <laughs> Just trying to grasp any sort of like positive outlook about the birth experience. And so, yeah, that was the intention from the beginning of, of really setting out to have a birth that just felt like ours and felt like how we, how we envisioned it. And I love the centering of the process in peace, joy, and connection instead of centering in the pain. Mm -hmm. That's such a, like, even that shift is so radical that that's a stronger preparation than as many books as you're going to read or right. like that's going to set the tone <laughs> for everything. I love it. Right. Exactly. So then were you a, a birth worker then? No. So I, 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 my background is in um, special education, specifically those on the autism spectrum. And so um, I, I kind of, in my head, I was like, well, in my work, when we, when we talk about like being vulnerable I feel like this is going to be one of those things where I have to be very vulnerable and very in tune with my emotions. And so I knew that there were people who did that, like who helped you with that. Um, and so, and then I found out that that like, the actual name for it was a doula. Um, and so we did a lot of research about doulas, but we were just not in a position to hire one. But no, I was not a birth worker yet. Um, but I was very in tune to birth work at that at that time. <laughs> mm. It's so funny because I can so relate to the having a birth without a doula and then becoming right. a doula, right? <laughs> Ugh, what were we thinking? <laughs> Did you regret afterwards not having a doula? Or? I wouldn't even say regret, but I know that I I when I reflect back on the birth, I'm always like a doula would have been beneficial. I mean, I my birth team was stacked. I had um, my parents, my husband, my in-laws were also there, and one of my best friends who also helped document the birth. So I was like, I feel prepared. Like, I've got my people. Um, but yes, a doula would have still been very helpful, for sure. You had a party in that room. I had a party. <laughs> <laughs> so how did it all begin? How, how did that party start? Yeah. So I was 41 and five days, 41 and five. I had midwives at the hospital. I had contemplated home birth, but we lived in an apartment and I was like, mm, I don't know how people do that. That's different. So let's just do a hospital with midwives. So I found a great midwifery practice and Around 40 weeks, there was discussions about, okay, what are we going to do to help naturally bring on things? And baby girl was just not coming. I tried all the things. And I do remember getting close to 41 weeks. Um, my midwife was like, well, why don't we try, you know, doing a membrane sweep? And I was like, okay, fine. 
did that. And that was the moment where I really was like, yeah, I don't actually know anything about the anatomy of my body. I just remember being like, where are you going during this cervical test? Where are these membranes you're going to sweep? Yeah, where are these membranes? But from that, we did find out that I was one centimeter. But we did decide from that point on that I should probably be scheduled for an induction, which that wasn't what I wanted. But I also knew that we were moving into a space that it was probably time to like support her coming um, with some help. And I, again, from that point, started to get into a mindset of like, what do I want this induction to look like? So she was scheduled, like I said, I was 41 and five, scheduled induction. My parents came in. We were living in DC at the time. So my parents came in that morning. I was scheduled to go in that night. My in-laws had come in the day before. And I remember like my husband had to go to work that morning. So I was at the house by myself, took a long shower. And I remember just like sitting on the couch and being like, wow, tonight, everything changes. (laughs) And just able to kind of sit in my own reflection about what was going to happen, um, trying to like prepare myself mentally for what this induction might look like. And then my parents came over and I remember my dad being like, we should have a champagne before we go to the hospital. (laughs) And I'm like, dad. He was ready to party. (laughs) He was ready to party. I'm like, dad, no. (laughs) So we all drive to the hospital. And I had also informed my best friend that we were going in that night. So she was coming in from New York on the train. And, you know, they had said, oh, your room, like, come at 8 p.m., you'll be ready at 8 p.m. So I get there and they're like, we don't have any rooms. And then I, like, felt myself kind of, like, shut down at that point because I was very prepared for, like, you're going to go in. It's going to be time. It's, like, everything going in order. So that did take some shifting. And I remember being really upset also because two of the midwives who were on call were two of the midwives who I hadn't met. So I just felt like, like, oh no, <laughs> things are already starting to derail here. Like this is, this is not okay. But we sat in the hallway while we waited and played cards. And my family did a really good job of like keeping me distracted and really trying to center me back in like, this is just part of how things shift. Like it's okay. So we finally get my room. I think like it was an hour, hour and a half. We go in, get me set up and they started me with Cervidil. And I remember my midwife saying like, we'll see how this goes. Sometimes some people's bodies react very quickly to it. And some people, you know, after the full 12 hours of waiting, nothing. I was one of those people who nothing. So 12 hours go by. My parents are staying at a hotel. So they went back. My my in-laws and my best friend went back to our house because we also had a dog at the time to take care of him. And, and Frankie and I kind of got some rest. And I didn't, I had no cramp, nothing. Like I was just chilling for the full 12 hours. (laughs) And I want people to hear that because you think, oh, inductions, we'll just get going with this. And actually, if you're jumpstarting your body from zero, it can take a long time. It can take days. Exactly. And also the fact that you're having an induction, like there's so much uncertainty attached to it anyways. There's this idea that oh, we'll know what will happen. Induction, we go in, have a baby, and right. already it's like, oh, but we don't have a room. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty and 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 a lot of mental game with the inductions. Yes, and I do think that kind of happened for all of us. I think my parents especially and my in-laws thought like, yeah, you go into induction, you have the induction, and it'll be quick. And when the midwife first said like it might be 12 hours, we all were like, 
wait, what? (laughs) Okay. And it was nice to have that time when everybody had left for Frankie and I to like, again, get ourselves in a headspace of this is, this might take some time and that's okay. This birth plan has shifted already a couple of ways. How are we going to roll with that? How did you roll with that? 12 hours hit. They did the cervical check. No change. And I felt myself like freak out a little bit because I also knew from there we were going to have to introduce Pedosin, which I knew was going to intensify things. And it was something that I I was hoping not to have. My midwife definitely caught on to that because I remember her being like, we don't have to like start it right now. Eat some pizza because my father-in-law had bought pizza for the nurses, for everybody. So everybody was eating pizza. (laughs) So she was like, eat some pizza, take another shower, get settled, and we'll start the Pitocin nice and slow. And we'll just see how your body responds and we'll go from there. And I will say that my midwives were wonderful. I had an amazing birth team. I'm very, very fortunate and grateful that it worked out in that way. They were just so in tune with my family. Like we had five people in a room. We weren't supposed to have five people, but they were like, whatever, like, let's like, they just rolled with you do you, Um, which was so wonderful. But yes, we started the Pitocin and immediately my body was like, oh, okay, this is what we're doing. And I want to say, even though your cervix hadn't dilated, there must have been some change in those 12 hours for them to move from a prostaglandin to soften and ripen and get your cervix ready to Pitocin, which is focused on dilation. So your cervix did change. We just obsess on dilation, but there's so many other things that maybe would have been helpful to focus you in the moment and say there isn't no, no change. Right. It's just this is what changed. And now it's time for this other thing. Right. And I love that you say that because in that moment, not knowing all the things that I do know, I can't even remember if they said those things to me because I knew in my head that dilation was all that you were supposed to do. Um, Well, assumed that that was like the thing that you focus on. So I don't even know if maybe she said those other things, but I was so dialed in of like, you mean I didn't dilate past anything else? Like, what do you mean? So yes, I love that you bring that up, that there are other factors that we're looking for, for your body, like your, that your body is making change. And often people have to ask about them because it's not just that we all nurses, everybody focuses just on the dilation. Mm-hmm. And as a birth worker, I'm sure you've had the situation where I ask the provider, yep. can you tell me also about station and softening exactly. and give me more information? Don't just give me dilation. Right. Exactly. Today's episode is sponsored by Acorns, and sometimes I find that investing gets put off because it doesn't seem urgent or because with our busy lives, we may not have the time to research and manage said investments, which is why I so appreciate that Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future and that you don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. So for example, I take advantage of Acorn's roundup feature where they round up the purchase amounts I make in my linked account to the nearest dollar, and then they automatically transfer that to my invest account portfolio. 
Also, Acorns can recommend an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. For me, that's easy-peasy investing. Head to acorns.com slash birthful or download the Acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today. Client testimonial may not be representative of all clients. Tier 1 compensation provided. Compensation provides an incentive to positively promote Acorns. View important disclosures at acorns.com slash birthful. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. Please consider your objectives, risk tolerance, and Acorns fees before investing. Acorns Advisors LLC Acorns is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are provided to clients of Acorns by Acorn Securities LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. For more information, visit acorns.com. Diaper rash. It can be a truly uncomfortable experience for a baby. And so I find that one of the biggest conundrums when diapering is figuring out what diaper cream to use. So many options are thick and goopy, making them hard to apply and hard to wipe off. But I can personally say that this is not the case for Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant that is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, designed as a breathable formula to help maintain an optimal skin barrier while allowing the healing to occur. This butt balm was developed by a mom who is also a doctor, hence the name Dr. Mom Butt Balm, when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash and she wasn't about to settle. So she created Dr. Mom Butt Balm to go on smooth and be easy to remove while also being gentle on your baby's delicate skin. With Dr. Mom Butt Balm, you can say goodbye to excessive wiping to clean your little one's already chafed skin. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is so soft and goes on so smooth that you'll only need a small amount instead of having to layer on a thick goop. Plus, it has a lovely minty scent. Learn more about Dr. Mom Butt Balm at drmombuttbalm.com. That's drmombuttbalm.com or look for it at amazon.com. So things started to get pretty intense. I know that like I, I was trying to move around the room because I was on now on Pitocin, I was having to be monitored. And I just remember I hated the monitors. I know a lot of people say that and they were just annoying. And I only position that really felt good was I either was on the ball on the side of the bed, kind of like curled over or on hands and knees, kind of on the floor in the bed. But every time I did that, the monitor would like lose. So there was this back and forth of like getting repositioned on the monitor, having the monitor off, walking to the bathroom, working through contractions. It was just like this cycle. And I remember being like, I'm just over these monitors. Like, please, someone figure out <laughs> how to monitor her without me being on the monitor. But I will say again, like my birth team was great in supporting me, like my mom and like, and when I say like supporting me, like all of these people were in the room. And I think that a lot of times people are very surprised that I had my in-laws and my parents. And I, and I want to say that there was a conversation that was had with all of them about what it would look like. I was very open of if you're going to be in that space, I need your energy to match mine. If you are unable to help or support or you feel like it's too much, I need you to leave because I cannot have that. I need you to be on the same page as me. I will be naked. So you handle that as you like. I want you to be present, but this is what I'm expecting 
for your presence. And they all understood that. (laughs) I love that. And there were moments like when I would come out of the birth fog, like I could see like my dad maybe would have turned because I think maybe it was too much. Or I know that my mother-in-law at some points had like walked out because she was crying. So I know that they all were doing that. And I'm grateful that they did honor that request from me because I did need them. But it was intense. And I had a lot of back labor. So I don't even really remember what front contractions feel like. All of my pain and discomfort was in my back. And I tried to describe it to somebody once. And I was like, it felt like after every contraction, like my back, my spine was like breaking and then reforming for like one second and then re-breaking. And I just, nothing was helping. Like there's a moment I know like the midwife came in and she's doing like counter pressure on me like trying to support me. And I'm just like, it does, nothing is helping me. Um, this, this is exhausting. And a new nurse came in and they were like, well, why don't you try nitrous oxide? Because my birth plan did not include having an epidural. I wanted to go as long as possible without one. So I was like, sure. Yeah, let's, I will do anything at this point. Let's, let's try the nitrous oxide first. I hated the nitrous oxide. Like the first moment of putting it on my face, I was like, this is making me feel like I'm going to throw up. I don't want to do this. Let's not do this. (laughs) So I'm like fighting them to just like, I'm like, just remove the nitrous oxide. I don't want to deal with that. Um, But I'm also at this point starting to like have those shakes, the transitional shakes. I'm starting to, I'm throwing up a bit more. I'm starting to have that feeling of I'm out of control in this moment. And I know around this time too, my midwife had offered, well, why don't we see where you are? And I said, okay, sure, let's do that. I don't think that she was even able. I just, the contractions were just so painful that I couldn't even lay still. And I know she tried and I was like, I just want you out, please don't. And she respected that wish and we just left it at that. But that was also the moment where I was like, okay, like, this feels excruciating and something has to change. And I know that at that time, there was going to be a midwife shift. So both midwives had come in. Um, my new nurse had come in and they asked, what do you want to do in this moment? And I remember my husband, like I'm leaning over the bed, I'm hanging on to him and he kind of just like looks me in my eyes and he's like, let's shut out everybody else what do you want to do? And he's like crying. I'm crying. (laughs) And at that moment, I mean, he was very much like, I know that you, what your birth plan said, but like, what do you need in this moment? And I said at that point, like, okay, I think, I think it's time to move forward with an epidural. And at that point, it had been about 30 hours that I had been since starting the induction that I had been moving through. I was just tired. Like I was exhausted. And I think everybody knew at that point that I needed something to just let my body settle. But they were, of course, waiting for me to come to that um, realization without being pushy, which I appreciated. But I also needed for him to tap in and be like, it's you. That's it. Nobody else. It's you. So I got the epidural placed and immediately knocked out. Like, I don't even think I think I was asleep before (laughs) they could even see if it like fully took. (laughs) 
I don't even know. But I, I do remember before falling asleep, my husband, because he, had, you know, everybody kind of had been up, but mostly him. He like looks at me and he goes, is it OK if, if I go to sleep, too? Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> and I'm like, yes. <laughs> and it seems like he was so supportive and so sad. I love the visual of you guys looking into each other's eyes and also realizing like having that reading the space, knowing that something needed to change, not just you feeling that something needed to change, but everybody, and then turning to you to say, okay, what do you need? Mm -hmm. Because again, with an induction, the goal is to get contractions to be in a pattern of every two to three minutes lasting a minute or longer. So that's a transition-like pattern, mm -hmm. but they want to get to that as soon as possible. So sometimes you end up having this transition-like pattern not just for transition, but for hours before. Mm -hmm. So that's a disconnect for sure. And if on top of that, you were having persistent back labor, I can't even. I mean, I can because that's what I had, the, the persistent <laughs> back labor. Right. We've talked about this. But because I know how it feels like, oh, yes, it's, it's too much. It, it was it was all consuming. Like I just felt like my entire body was working so hard. And there was no break, no break ever. Like there was no pause. There was no time for me to catch my breath. And so I was exhausted by, by that time. Um, so fell asleep. I think everybody got some rest. And I woke up maybe an hour or two after, like refreshed. <laughs> I'm like, hi, everyone. <laughs> We're here. Um, the midwives came in and said, you know, how do you feel about us doing a check, kind of seeing where you are? And I was like, sure, let's do that. And they did a check and they were like, yeah, we, it's time. If you're ready to, if you're feeling, you know, some of those, those urges, that pressure, like, let's, let's go for it. Were you feeling the desire to push? I wasn't feeling the desire to push, but I definitely like my, I, I would say that they did a like a fair job on my my epidural because at that point I could still feel um not necessarily any type of pain but I could feel that pressure. I I wasn't feeling like the pressure to push but I could feel the pressure during contraction so I knew when they were coming. So I was like, yeah, let's let's go for it. And I just remember giggling like, wow. Okay. Baby, like we're doing this. And so they got me a mirror because I definitely wanted to be able to see. And so my husband's holding my left leg. My mother-in-law is holding my right leg. My dad's like sitting behind me. My father-in-law is kind of like off to the side. And my mom is holding <laughs> both of my sisters on FaceTime, <laughs> like in front. <laughs> so again, party, like Community birth here. Yes. <laughs> and so we start pushing. And I mean, uh, yeah, I could feel the pressure. Um, so I was pushing with the pressure. Something that I don't remember and that I've, I, I, I have been told, but there was a point where like I was pushing and they kind of had me stopped. And in that moment, I didn't pick up on any of this, but my daughter did have shoulder dystocia. So the way that it has been told to me is like during that moment, they were actually like pushing down on my stomach. And, you know, my my support people were saying they were kind of freaking out. But I'm like, I have no idea that anything is going on, which, you know, I appreciate that they kind of kept me in the zone to be focused. But she came out 
Um, we did not know if we were having a boy or a girl. We love surprises. So we were very much like, let's just see when this baby is born. And so we had said that I would be the one um, to kind of like let the room know. So they pulled her up, put her on my chest. And I just remember like crying, like, it's a girl, it's a little girl. So everybody's crying. She's like sitting on my chest. They let her sit there for a second and then took her because of the shoulder dystocia just to make sure that everything was okay. But she was fine. She was beautiful. She was fine. Eight pounds, nine ounces. They made sure she was good and then brought her back over to me. And we just hung out. Oh, so good. (laughs) So good. And from what I'm hearing, the shoulder dissociation wasn't really a big thing. It was just like it happened and then they quickly resolved it. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, the only way that I knew that, I mean, they told me, of course, after she was back on my chest, um, but hearing kind of the like small intensity of it came from when everybody was reflecting back on the experience. Laborland is a thing. Laborland, you thing. go into deeper <laughs> brain altered states. Yes. You don't, yeah. Yes, for sure. Oh, did you tear? No, no tears. I want people to hear that. Eight pounds, mm-hmm. nine ounces, no, no tear. Tears. It doesn't, it's not the size of the baby. Nope. What was the most surprising thing for you out of this experience? That I birthed a whole human. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that, I mean, like, in all honesty, that really did blow my mind. I'm an athlete. Uh, well, was an athlete. I'm no longer an athlete. I was an athlete. And so I know part of my prep, I always kept saying, like, this is, this is kind of going to be like when, you know, like you train for a big game, like you train... That's kind of like what my prep looked like, like physically and body wise um, and how I like was like, OK, this is the type of breathing I'll need to use. Of course, it is completely different. But like you said, that I was able to tap into this other source of myself that I had no idea was possible, like even with how because it was painful, like I'm very honest with people about that experience, like that birth was painful and that birth did take a lot from me, I still feel the same joy. Like I just feel joyous about it because I know that I I did that. My body did that. And I'm so proud about that. An eight pound, nine ounce whole human I birthed. <laughs> you sure did. Yes. It's not what happens during the birth. And we say this all the time. I know you do too. It's not what happens during the birth is that you feel supported, heard, validated, respected, that centered, that it's honoring your wishes. That makes the difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So good. Absolutely. Yeah. So then, and we wanted to focus on your first birth, the birth of your daughter, but you have a son and that was a home birth. What made you switch from hospital to home? Yeah. So after having (laughs) my daughter, um, and I remember like sharing, because again, we were the first in our group, like sharing about birth and I'm a very open person in general. So I was very honest with everyone about the whole experience. People just were very surprised by the joy that I was able to share out of that because I could have easily been like, the pain, it was horrible. Da, 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 da. And I, like I said, I was honest with, yes, it, there was pain involved, but there also was like that pain had purpose. 
I was able to really tap into my body in a way that I had never done before, ever. And I mean, I learned so much about my body and myself. But after like reflecting with the midwives and postpartum, like reflecting with friends when it came time, like when I was pregnant with my son, two big things were maybe three. Let me see as I speak them out. We moved to a new state. And in moving to Columbus, Ohio, I learned about what childbirth was around here. And I was like, I don't feel comfortable being in a hospital. I don't think that I'm going to get the same experience that I had at the other hospital. And that just doesn't feel safe for me. And I also had learned a lot more in between that time about maternal outcomes um, and especially what that looked like for Black mothers. And I just, I didn't feel like that would be a safe choice. I had also at that point connected with a midwife, a home birth midwife who I loved. So I knew that I would be able to get the support I needed. And I also knew from my previous birth and how I connected with birth, that home birth just felt more in sync for me. Yeah. It just felt more in sync with where I was at in the process. And again, like I said, I was thinking about home birth with my daughter, but I think because of placement, it just, it didn't make sense, but it definitely made sense at this point that, yeah, like, let's do this. And it makes such a difference when you, again, it's about informing your intuition, right? You Mm -hmm. had connected with the midwife, you built that trust, you have seen home births, you'd seen the variations of what happens in a hospital with different providers or different hospitals at home, like all these different places, it really broadens your spectrum of what it's possible. And then you had all these choices. Yeah. And I will say the interesting thing was, so we moved to Columbus where my husband teaches is like an outside, is an hour outside of Columbus. And I also knew that if, if I did a home birth there, if at any point there was a need for a transfer, it would be at a hospital that I wasn't comfortable with. So I said, all right, let's see if my parents will be okay with us having a home birth at their home. (laughs) So there was this other layer of informing them that there was an option, that this was an option, sorry, and that this was still the same for them, it was about safety. They were like, our, you know, our home, they had never, they didn't know home births were a thing. They were like, is this going to be safe? And I'm like, for us, it's safer for us. It makes sense for us. And so they got to be a part of all my midwifery appointments. They got to see that in real action and they got to witness a home birth. Because again, I think I just have community births, like everybody's just there. Um, that's how I roll. And so they got to be a part of that. And so now they get to share out to others about like my parents, I remember like when people would ask them, so where, you know, like what hospital is, is, is Laurel having the baby? My mom was like, we're actually having the baby in our basement. And I'd be like, well, can you rephrase? (laughs) (laughs) Is this the same person that wanted to pop a champagne right before even going to the hospital? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, okay, love that you're excited, but let's just home birth. (laughs) Sounds a little creepy, just in the basement. (laughs) Uh, but that's so good. And yeah, you just continue the party wherever you go for all of this. I love the support and 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 making it communal, making bringing your parents into this, because it's a lot of responsibility. Let's be honest. Like, yes. when you say I'm going to have a home birth, you have to take on a different role in how you approach your birth. Right. Which is totally doable. But right. you just, you know, have to be honest with yourself. And I feel it's fantastic that you had that support 
from your whole community and your parents. And because people who have a home birth, you hear so often that they're getting so much pushback from their family and they almost have to keep it a secret from their family. Mm -hmm. And it is so joyous to hear the flip side of something completely different of of community buy-in into your choices. Exactly. Exactly. And then for the people, like there were some people who we just didn't share it with because we knew there was going to be that pushback. And I was like, I don't need that. And again, having honest conversations with my parents about this, I was like, you are at any point allowed to say no. If you're afraid, if there's fear, we all need to share that out now because we cannot have fear as a part of this. And I remember like having that conversation. My mom was like, well, what are you afraid of? And I was like, I'm actually not afraid of the birth. I have no fear. Like, I know I'm capable. I was like, my only fear is that if necessary, there would be a transfer. But I also feel fully supported by my care provider, by my doula, by you all, that if that was a choice that needed to be made, I would be okay. But as far as the birth, I got this. (laughs) So I think them hearing me talk about fear, allowing them to express their fear around it, made it easier for them to be like, okay, this feels like we can do this. Do you feel that the fact that they were part of your journey in the first birth, like they were so such an integral part and you had already had that conversation way back of this is how you show up for me in this space, that work was already done. And then now you just you took it to a next level. You're like, okay, now let's do this, guys. Exactly. Exactly. And so I would send them like, okay, you watch this birth video like this is what it might look like. Um, I started giving them things to read. and then. At my appointments, they were then able to talk to my midwife and be able to see and have those conversations. Whereas like, you know, in the hospital, you don't get to do that. They don't get to see that other side. And I think the reason that I community birth is so important to me is one, because I just I need my community. I very much thrive off of that. I also know the change that it can have. Like my siblings were also present. And so now, as they're talking about expanding their families, they're like, okay, well, how do we like prepare for a home birth? How do we know if that's like an option? Um, so that there is this continued conversation of there's so many different types of births. You just have to do what feels right for you. Is there anything that you wanted to make sure we got to that we haven't? I mean, I guess just sitting back on and like reiterating the honest conversations around your birth space. And that also includes your partner. I knew I wanted a home birth from the beginning, but like I still had to talk to my partner about that. How do you feel about this? How do you think you're able to show up to support me? And don't, and not even just like on the the level of I'll do whatever you want because I love you. Like, no, I need to actually know how you're feeling about it so that if those things start to arise during the birth, we can address that. Or you know that you have the space to remove yourself if those things come up for you, because I need you to be at your best on that day. So just having those conversations about the people you want to support or the people you don't want to support or just what you want that space to feel like is really, really important. Mm. Thank you, Laurel, so much for sharing your stories and for sharing what an interdependent community way of birthing can look like, whether it's in the hospital or at home. 
Because I think that's what we need more, that interdependence of we're in this mm -hmm. together, because clearly it creates so many deeper bonds. Yes. And safeguards against trauma. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. I'm, I'm just honored that I was able to have that experience twice. And I, I love my people for showing up. Thank you so very much. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that was Laurel Gorier, a wife, mother, birth worker, and reproductive justice advocate. Alongside Danielle Jackson, Laurel co-hosts the Birth Stories in Color podcast, which embraces storytelling as a way to amplify the lived experiences of Black, Indigenous, Asian, Latinx, and multiracial individuals. Laurel has shared the full story of her son's home birth on Birth Stories in Color. So if you want to listen to that as well, we've placed the link to it on the show notes for this episode. Also, since we spoke, Laurel has had a second home birth to welcome her third baby. It was a fast labor with her midwives walking in the door at the same time Laurel was catching her own daughter. A big, big congratulations to Laurel and the whole family because you know it had to be a party. You can find Laurel on Instagram at Birth Stories in Color, and you can connect with us at Birthful Podcast. In fact, if you're not driving, we would absolutely love it if you would take a screenshot of this episode and post it to your stories, sharing what your biggest takeaway was from this episode. Make sure to tag at Birthful Podcast so we can see it and amplify it. You can find the in-depth show notes and transcript of this episode at birthful.com, where you can also learn more about my birth and postpartum preparation classes. And while you're there, download your free postpartum preparation plan. Birthful is created and produced by me, Adriana Lozada, with production assistance from Asia Plotty. This episode was produced in part by LWC Studios, Paulina Velasco, Jen Chen, Cedric Wilson, and Kojin Tachiro. Thank you so much for listening to and sharing Birthful. Be sure to follow us on GoodPod, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and everywhere you listen. And then come back for more ways to inform your intuition. Hey, Mighty One. Did you know that if you started listening to one Birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.